Have you ever wondered what them crazy Christians are talking about when they mention spiritual warfare? Have you been a Christian for a while but are still wondering about what that phrase means? Look no further. Today, I will engage you in a two-part series covering the expansive educational experience required to take this phrase to heart. All around us, the world turns and revolves. We struggle in our bubbles and stay focused on everything but what we need to. Have you ever wondered why that is? Have you ever wondered why everything just seems so daggum hard? We will talk about all this and more, but let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, so... Thanks for tuning in. You're in for a treat. God has given me a message, again, more for myself than for you, but he wants me to focus this month on spiritual warfare and what it means to wage war on our flesh. I'm planning to covering, um, I'm planning on covering tons of biblical examples of spiritual warfare, as well as bringing it home by applying science and history. So you bet this is going to be groundbreaking. Well, in my head, I've got Bruce Willis swinging from a rope above a burning scratchscraper and Tom Cruise dodging bullets, but no, it, it won't be that epic. However, if I ever get the ability and inclination to bring these episodes to video, you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to animate this one like it's a rendition of one of Michael Bay's movies. All right, so let's dive into why this topic is so important, okay? So this is so daggum important because we ignore ourselves or our immediate surroundings as human beings. Don't believe me? Think about this. We know all of 8 to 12% of the ocean. As in, we have discovered that much of it. That's it. We've got a moderate grasp on the land, right? As in, we've discovered a rough 40% of the earth. There's still a rough 65% we have not explored though. Sound cool? It totally is. However, we are spending all of our time interested in outer space. So explain that. How can we begin to search our galaxy when we haven't even mastered our own planet? Let me drive this home further. Even if you consider space as an immediate discovery need, we still focus more on objects outside of our galaxy than inside of it. Now go check out NASA's focus. We have millions of dollars in telescopes looking outside of our solar system or galaxy. That's insane. We as humans are geared for some weird reason to ignore the internal the pertinent, and the gaze of our feet upon the earth. And this is why spiritual warfare is so important. God tells us that he is a lamp to our feet. He lists us out because we can get caught up in designing clever philosophical contraptions to broadcast light upon our path, our path, our path of our own making. God is like, um, no, you watch the feet and I'll guide the way. And we're like, nah, I'm good. I'd rather know where I'm going. God says, okay, you can do that. Or you could let the God who created everything and knows everything guide you, which sounds better. Even if you had all the collective knowledge invested in humanity, would that still trump the overarching will and wisdom of an all-powerful God? I sure as heck don't think so. Do you go up to God and say, look here, God, I've got this plan and I'd like you to give the approval, okay? No, no, no. Just sign and notarize here. That'd be great, thanks. Wrong, capital W-R-O-N-G. And then like you can imagine your own buzzer, your own buzzer sound there. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 states, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God explicitly states that it's his job to do that, not yours. Hebrews states, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's keep versing it up. Psalms 119, 105 states, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own, your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. To me, that's super profound there, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to do this yourself, right? You got God on your side. So let's pay attention. And what does all this mean to you and me? Well, I'm saying, you know, let's pay attention. So it's not just a spiritual thing though, okay? Looking at your incredulous face, you'd think so. But this is also rooted in common sense, science, and general folklore. Think about it. If you're a sports player, right, and you've been getting negative press, doesn't that affect you subconsciously? Doesn't that then cause conscious effects or physical effects? Well, of course it does. A bad diet can cause bad gut bacteria. Did you know that your gut controls your brain? They are directly correlated through millions of nerves. What you eat literally has an impact on how you're feeling and doing. In the same way, so does what you surround yourself with spiritually and how close you orient yourself to God. Orient myself to God? What are you, some kind of mystic now, Will? No. Well, yes, sometimes. But it depends on if I'm trying to make money dealing cards. Don't judge. Man's got to eat. So, listen. Let me spell something out. We, as humans, are oriented towards everything that occurs in the visible, right? The war going on inside, or spiritually, is unseen, but they are indeed visible. Strained relationships, instability, mental fatigue, depression, these are all tangible effects related to non-tangible action chains. Don't get stuck on the word action chains. It sounds fancy, think on it. Ephesians 6.12 speaks to this by stating, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And that isn't when the Bible mentions like rulers against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness. It doesn't mean um, physical people. It means those spiritual entities that affect us in that certain way because there are like entities that are um, like set above us or, or do have influence over us. And that's also true. Even, even as a soldier which I have been one, um, in a carnal battle, you're fighting spiritually more than physically, okay? It's not just who stabs or shoots the other first, it's who's more grounded, who is emotionally charged, who has confidence, who trained their mind more, or even who is thinking of who they would leave behind if they perished. The physical is but one small part, my friends. Don't take my advice. Ask any sports player or mixed martial artist. They can back it up. You have to be spiritually balanced. Heck. Why do you think most monk cultures utilize martial arts in addition to their pacificity, calmness, and oneness with themselves or whatever? Most of the time, most of their time, is spent doing repetitive motions, training their mind and discipline and their muscles to muscle memory. They are meditating and orienting their spirits toward what is most important to them. And that's key here. So if you take the hocus pocus out of it, 
And you've got then what Christians should be doing too, talking with God, spending time with him. If he is the epicenter of what is good, capital G, wait, if he is the fountain from which all that is good, that all that is good comes from, why should we not orient ourselves toward him? This means reading his word, thinking on his principles, having love, faith, courage, and humility. It's all in the intangibles. Wars are one in the minds, folks, not in the bodies. Body. So, like I mentioned, love, faith, courage, and humility. These are non-tangibles. There are so many things in life that we put emphasis on that are non-tangibles. Like, for instance, you know, I, um, as you guys may know, I want a different job. I want to be in a different field, right? And so sometimes um, my desire for a different job, my desire not to be at my job, causes me psychological stress, right? So I go into work, you know, and I'm trying to get myself motivated. I'm praying, that kind of stuff. But my entire day is not built upon, like, it's not built upon the word stress, which is, again, something that can be physical. You know, if a, if a piece of metal is putting stress on a, on another piece of metal, that's stress. But in humans, stress is non-tangible. My mood at work is non-tangible most of the time. Like what's what's affecting me is an internal thing. Don't ignore this stuff. It's just, it's super important. If you come home to your wife, and then and there's some sort of intangible stress there, intangible tension or friction there, that's spiritual warfare. Why? Because it's definitely not physical warfare. It might devolve down to physical warfare but it definitely starts in your mind it's nothing it's it's not something that, that's going to start physically and even if it did start physically by means of you know like if you're throwing if you're throwing pots and pans at each other for that person that throws the pan that first started spiritually than it did physically like you don't just make a decision unconsciously to just throw a pan at somebody typically right there's normally you know you're stressed you might have some sort of instability. You haven't been really taking care of yourself. You've been just going through the motions. Like it's all spiritual, guys. And there is a role in prayer, right? So what does all this that I just mentioned like lead us towards? Well, I'll spend the second episode of this series talking more about spiritual warfare and its basis in reality instead of um, in like a hyper-religion aspect as many people would believe that this topic like rests. But au contraire. This leads us towards prayer, right? Yes, monks have om and whatnot. Some cultures have prayer rugs. You do you, boo. But what I mean is time spent with God. This is an immensely hard thing to do, at least on a regular basis, right? And but like by prayer, that could be like you on your hands and knees just listening to God. That could be like you listening to Christian music and speaking out to God. That could be you just talking in your head you know, it's definitely better to speak it aloud, but that could be you thinking about God. Prayer can be a lot of stuff. And like the Bible gives us a pretty clear indication of it. Most of the time it's talking to God, right? But do you honestly think the devil wants you to talk to God? Uh, no. That is one reason why it's so hard, right? Also, it requires you to cede control. It requires you to let go of your control and it requires effort as well as should. You don't get a six pack by sitting on the couch watching others get six packs. It may be entertaining, but it's not useful, right? And this is one form of spiritual warfare, right? Where you know what you need to do, but you find yourself blocked in some way. Yes, that's warfare. And that's where prayer comes in. 
And this is where you talk with God and realize that you're only blocked by yourself. You can't blame it on anyone other than yourself. You have to engage. You have to ask for it. Heck, there are stories in the Bible of people not having the strength to do something, but God grants it to them. In fact, that's a pretty popular theme. Why? Because God states that He is your rock. He is a source of your strength, guys. Now, how does this contrast with human thinking? Well, you sit there, you pray, and then bam! You expect your desire to do good, or work out, or anything else just to manifest there for you. That's not how it works. You don't sit next to a bodybuilder and become fit. You work with the bodybuilder and you adopt his or her way of thinking or work ethic, right? There's a conscious emerging there that, that occurs. There's a conscious objectivity of you watching, you know, the physical warfare that that bodybuilder is executing upon that machine. <laughs> and then you try to apply the spiritual warfare that's keeping him on the machine. You know, half the time running takes a very strong mind, or at least a mind that's capable of seating control. Like, like what I mean? There's not many people that run or work out without music. Because you, you're trying to emotionally charge your mind. You're trying to get your mind geared up to perform that activity. That's the objective, right? And that's also why I really encourage people to work out because it does develop like, your ability to occupy your mind while doing something physically. You know, it's it's pretty easy that you could, you know, you, you could walk and pray. You could walk and read the Bible. There are tons of things that you can do to help wage the spiritual warfare to get your mind and your soul right. To really reach that, that, that positive thinking level to where you actually, you work out. Because if you work out, you're going to, your body's going to release endorphins and it's going to make you feel good. Right? Why not pair that with some spiritual feeling good? Right? If you've got a spiritual and a, and a physical feel good kind of thing going on the way you're working out, that can only help you out and it can only reinforce the positivity of talking with God and with, and with waging your spiritual warfare with Him on your side. Now, let me tell you a secret to spiritual warfare. Now, the devil is subtle, right? He wants you to rely on yourself. Satan knows that humanity is broken. He knows that we are weak. He, he also knows that God dwells within those who are saved. He knows that our strength comes from the fountain of good, capital G. Therefore, what better tool than to get God's followers or potential followers to believe in themselves more than relying on God? It's hard, ain't it? Sure is. How do we fix this? You, you read the Word of God. You talk with and learn about Him. You cannot hope to defend yourself from a bully until you learn the mentality of fighting, the tools used to fight, the methodology of fighting, and what fighting even means. You need to be equipped, peeps, because what's cool is Satan has already been defeated. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Like, no kidding, right? If, if you don't have the tools, you can't do it. You may be a super above six foot, six foot three guy or gal. Gal, that'd be terrifying. But guy, you know, that's part of the course. But if you face somebody who has 10 to 15 years of fighting experience, it's not going to go your way, right? There, there is power in knowledge. That is why the most like, valuable currency in the world is not power. It's not, it's not like money. It's not like influence per se. It's knowledge because from knowledge can spring the acquisition of money, power, and influence. Now, 
Did I just say that the enemy was defeated? Yes. Yes, I did. John 12, 31 through 32 states this. It mentions Jesus going to the cross and stating, Now is the judgment, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Right? So Satan's Satan is still loose, but he's impotent, ultimately. And then let me give you a decisive quote by William Lane Craig on topic. Namely, he says, namely, through the crucifixion of Jesus, God has disarmed the, the principalities and powers. He's stripped them of their fundamental power and he has humiliated them publicly. The word there in the Greek refers to the way in which a Roman emperor returning from battle victorious would bring in his train the captive, the defeated generals, and authorities over which he had triumphed. They're publicly displayed. One way to translate this might be to say, he disarmed the principalities and powers leading them in triumphal procession on the cross or in Christ. The point of both of these verses, I think, and this is what he says, it's clear that Satan has been defeated. He is still on the loose. He is still wreaking havoc upon the world, but in the cross, he has been decisively beaten. So I would implore you to operate in victory today, knowing you've won and make sure that you realize that the unease you feel you can bring that to God. Don't fight your battles alone, right? The enemy wants that. Fight with God, folks. And so, as we're kind of winding down here, I also want to mention this idea of operating from victory is very key to Christianity. And I think it does get covered in a good bit of churches. But it's important for us to, to express this to non-believers. And if you are a non-believer that's listening to this, I would encourage you to latch on to this. You know, there's not many religions that their ultimate foe has been defeated, right? There's there's certain like religions that may operate on the fact that, you know, God is superior to the enemy, but they don't state that the enemy is already defeated. As in, the threat is there, but now you can know that your battle that you're fighting has already been won. Because that's kind of different, right? God, throughout all the, all the Old Testament, operates in this way like uh, there's not an explicit statement of him stating you know like your enemy's already your enemy has already been defeated go home and eat some bread no no god still has them wage the war right because you're still you're still like developing yourself god's not gonna do everything for you right there's still a role for you to play right but what's cool is that when those old leaders of the past in the bible waged a physical or spiritual war they were taught that as soon as you pray about it, right, and then, you know, God works with you on it, you've already won. And that's kind of how I want people to think about this. You may be dealing with depression, anxiety, like marital troubles. God's already designed a way out of that for you. God's already designed your victory. That's the key point here. God's already got everything worked out for you. And you can still choose your own way. You can still choose to spend all your time at counselors or spend all your time at yoga class or spend all your time like meditating with all music or whatever you do. Right, but God already has your victory in hand. So, so technically, if you're not using him, you're technically snatching failure from the jaws of victory. Yes, I know typically it's victory from the 
Charles of failure, but this is different, right? You're, you're, you're choosing to handle something that you don't have the tools for, nor do you have the firepower for. Now, there are also temporary fixes to our short-term and long-term problems. There are man-made solutions that might have the guise of being a fix for you here and now. I can promise you those don't last, right? We can't build things that last. Nothing we do lasts forever. Even plastic breaks down eventually. And yes, I know plastic can typically last until the end of days, <laughs> but plastic can run out. And so my point is, is that if you're viewing your, your problems and your battles in the lens of a spiritual and asking God to assist you, not just because it seems like it's the right thing to do, but because you've realized through the word of God that you already are already operating in victory. That's a strong spiritual spot to start from. That's, that's a hill that you can go, that you can go battle and then you can battle on, you know, I'd rather battle on the, on the top of the hill than have to scale the hill already. And this is something that I hope that you can take with you to the bank and something that you can take with you to your work and your life and just embrace it and just realize that God has your back and that he will be your sword and your shield. He will light your path. He will show you the way to go that leads to victory. Well, Godspeed, y'all. Have a blessed day.